0: Hello. Welcome back. I'm Caitlin.
1: And I'm Emily. We're the executive directors and co founders of ATX TV.
0: And you're listening to the TV Campfire.
1: This week and coming up through the end of 2021, we're releasing exclusive and original conversations from our Season 10 Festival that premiered in June 2021. Please enjoy this week's release and tune in both here and on youtube.com/ATXTV for even more TV goodness.
0: Without further ado, here's this week's TV Campfire episode from season 10 of ATX TV Festival. Enjoy.
1: Hello, I'm Emily Gibson, co-founder of ATX TV, and we're in the middle of day two of season 10. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a panel that we've been trying to put together for a few years now, but we also knew we needed the right partner. In the summer, I met Lawrence Carter-Long, the communications director at the Disability Rights Education Defense Fund at a virtual event and I knew I had found the right person. So with that, I'm going to bring out Lawrence to help introduce the panel and talk a little bit about DRED F and introduce our moderator.
2: Thank you, Emily. Hello. Hello. So um, it's an honor to be here. This has been a dream of mine too for a very long time. You know. Since 1979, the Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund, or DREDF, has been on the front lines of disability civil rights in the areas of legislation, litigation, and education. And in 2020, we revitalized DREDF's Disability Media Alliance project by adding Kara Reedy to our team to bolster these existing areas and to improve and expand the ways disability is reflected in media, including entertainment. Now. Some may look at that scope of work and say, well, why jump into entertainment? Easy. Because the stories we see, hear, and read in turn shape reality. Dreddips deep bench in these key policy areas informs our media work. And yet for the most part, conventional depictions of disability would still have you believe that disabled people are either tragic, heroic, or exist solely to teach non-disabled folks valuable lessons without backstories points of view or narrative arcs of their own, almost always props in someone else's story, seldom center stage. Today's panel dares to do a deep dive into the messy middle between those extremes by putting the perspectives of disabled creatives front and center in the uncharted terrain outside the box, beyond the margins, adding additional color to the palette and new voices to the choir. Now I can think of no one better to lead this discussion than IndieWire's Kristen Lopez, TV editor at IndieWire, herself a disabled journalist. Kristen was the first and only person we wanted to moderate this discussion because of the necessary combination of lived experience and career cred that she brings to these topics. So thank you, Kristen, and thank you to all our amazing panelists We are absolutely thrilled to be a part of ATX TV for your incredible 10th Festival. Thanks as well to our friends at the Inevitable Foundation, which is funding and mentoring the next generation of disabled screenwriters. Applications for their $25,000 Screening Fellowship are open right now for also partnering with us on this event, which brings us to today's discussion. So buckle up as we drive right into the messy middle.
3: Lawrence gave me quite the introduction uh, and I hope that I can do this amazing panel justice. Uh, Yes, I'm Kristen Lopez, the TV editor for IndieWire. I'm also a disabled entertainment journalist uh, who's been published in all sorts of different websites talking about disability representation. And I am so thrilled to get to be sitting here with the amazing panelists that I'm going to be introducing you to today. We're gonna start with the amazing actress who's doing some fantastic work on the freeform series Everything's Gonna Be Okay, Miss Kayla Cromer. Hi, guys. Next, Ka- Hello, Kayla. It's so great to sit down and talk with you. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Next, we have the writer for NCIS New Orleans, Catherine Beatty. I hope I pronounced your last name right. Got it correct. I Yay! <laughs> Next, we have an actress from the show Louder Milk, Sophia Cheyenne. Sophia, how are you?
4: Hey, so excited to be here, Kristen, everyone. This is going to be fantastic.
3: Next, we have Steve Way from Rami. Steve is always great to see. Steve, how are you?
5: I'm good, thank you, Kristen.
3: And last but certainly not least from The Politician, we have Ryan J. Haddad. Ryan, how are you?
6: Hi, darling. I'm great. It's great to see you.
3: I am so amazed and, and happy to be sitting here with an amazing mix of talent in the industry, both in front of and behind the camera, um, doing the work that has taken far too long to get to this point. Um you know, the question that I wanted to start, and I, I ask this a lot of disabled creatives and talent, because I feel like it says a lot about how we have to compartmentalize as people in media who love media. And I'll, I'll throw the question to, to Ryan first. Uh, yep, you're, you're kicking things off. You know, who were the stars or characters you were drawn to growing up? knowing that there weren't disabled characters in abundance. Who did you connect to in media uh, growing up?
6: Um, Whoopi Goldberg in anything, but particularly Sister Act Two. Um, uh, Fran Drescher on The Nanny, which is having this amazing resurgence thanks to HBO Max. And I think, I feel like so many people, even of my generation are discovering it because they weren't watching it on Lifetime instead of going to school like I was. Uh, the cast of the Golden Girls, every single one of them, and also um, uh, Lucille Ball. So I would venture to categorize all of those uh, women, they're exclusively women, uh, as queer icons. And so I think even though I wasn't out as a gay man at the age of four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, uh, I knew there was something in my identity, right, and that that drew me at least to very powerful women. Uh, so when I wasn't seeing disability, I sort of leaned more into the queer sensibility uh, as to compensate.
3: Yeah, Catherine, I want to ask you that same question, or, or Sophia, you you had your hand up, yeah? Who who were you connecting to?
4: I'll just jump in real quick. I love Ryan, like. Took some of my people, which is awesome. Cause like I <laughs> totally agree. Whoopi Goldberg. Um, one that you didn't mention that for me was uh Charlie's Angels, you know, and all of the fierce women in Charlie's Angels. I would watch that movie over and over and over again. And it was um definitely a similar track to what Ryan said, where I think I was more geared towards um strong women and and strong characters in in um different stories. Also Renona Ryder in all the Tim Burton films and loved like sort of that oddball kind of character maybe or that the sort of different kind of storytelling that those stories told. Um, so I just wanted to jump and say yes and to that. I'd love to hear what Catherine um uh, Catherine's stars are. <laughs> yes, please.
7: I'm gonna have to yes and that as well because Ryan also took the bulk of my people, which is the cast <laughs> of the girls. I mean, I think um, maybe all of us were just home watching that show. It's just—it's still my favorite show to this day. And you know, I think the question is interesting because the way you phrased the question, knowing that there weren't a, an abundance of disabled characters, I didn't know that then. I didn't—I didn't real. I know that now, but, but I didn't even know disabled people existed you know when I was growing up because I didn't see them on television um and but I think really one character that I really connected to is um Claire Danes in my so-called life and I think like there was just right in my age range and even today I'm kind of drawn to stories of outsiders female-driven stories and um but it's just interesting you can you can look back now as an adult and realize that you never saw yourself on television but when you're five, six, seven years old, you just think that you don't exist and you don't know why.
3: Catherine, you created a perfect segue, which with my next question, which is, you know, I always tell people that I didn't have anybody that looked like me in a wheelchair, but I had Molly Ringwald or, but but at the same time, watching Molly Ringwald romantic comedies, there was always this disconnect of Molly Ringwald's biggest flaw is that she's plain. She doesn't have a wheelchair, you know? So there's always that remove of, of separation between you and the character. It, the, I want to throw this question Steve's way. You know, do you remember the moment that you noticed that there was this severe lack of, of disability in representation? Is there a moment that sticks out for you and realizing, hey, I'm not being seen at
2: all?
5: Yeah, but when I was a kid, um, I, re- I remember watching um, Star Trek The Next Generation with my parents and, you know, obviously, um, loving the character, journey. And I remember my parents you know, explaining to me that he was disabled or that he was blind. And, you know, being four or five years old, someone who understands that my body is different from my friends, uh, you know, that that really hit me. But then I also realized that I didn't really see anybody else that looked like him. And then I didn't see anybody else that looked like me. So I I understood that there were other people out there and on television, but I mean, I don't. I, I can't really think of the first time where I was like, oh, I feel see
3: Exactly. Well, I want to throw the same question out to, to Kayla. You're inspiring so many generations, uh, a new generation of of youth to see themselves, but do you have a moment where you... Notice that lack of representation.
8: Well, since autism is an invisible disability, the closest thing that I can recall, I mean, it's a little bit different, but I think I was around ten years old, um, and I saw, you know, those like circulars that go in the mail for the big box stores that come in your mailbox. <laughs> I was looking at that one day, and I was like, "Why isn't? Why is everyone so perfect? They all look." the same, like no one had braces, no one were um, overweight. They were all just picture perfect in every single way. And I remember asking my mom and sister, like, why can't they have a disability? Just like how they're doing now, like Target now, they're having models in wheelchairs now. How long it's taken for that to even become become a thing. That's like the first memory I had of something like that, of a disconnect.
3: Exactly. I think that's always the frustrating thing is that we're now seeing so much change. And, you know, where was this 10, 15, 20 years ago? Um, exactly. Sophia, I wanted to throw the next question your way. You know, the, the name of this panel is called the messy middle. You know, how do you define that in the industry? What What is that that look like to you in terms of creating something passing for, compromise and and symmetry with regards to disability in media.
4: Yeah. Thank you so much. I think, I think the messy middle is, it's a, it's a large, messy middle. (laughs) There's lots of, there's a lots of branches to what this messy middle, I think looks like. Um, But I, I don't know. My first instinct is to say that it's sort of, for me, it's this distinction between being an actor, doing my job as an actor, telling a story, and also being an advocate or sometimes uh, a, an educator, you know, on set and what that means um, for me as an actor, it's, it's sticky and messy because like, I want to just go in there and, and do my job, but I also have to ask for accommodations or, um, you know, let the staff know about like what ADA compliance is and, and things like that. So that to me is what that messy middle is. and And I've had many different experiences and what that looks like and i'll say quickly that in the beginning of my career like i was so quiet i didn't say much you know i didn't talk about what i needed or or ask for what i needed i just sucked it up you know and um now i it's definitely like part of who i am it's part of you know how i am an actor and and how i move through these these spaces and in these um projects because i think it's so important to not only uh advocate for yourself but like i'm just more confident in myself and more confident in my career now that i can ask for those things and, but it's still messy, you know, even though I feel that confidence and I can ask for those accommodations when I need them.
3: I I broach it when people ask me about the same question, you know, understanding the dynamics of, you know, the name recognition of a star, but also understanding that it's wrong to cast them as a disabled person. So I see both it's, it's about us seeing both sides, even though we don't want to. And even though it's, it's dumb in some cases that we should have to be that that way. So that totally makes sense. Um, you brought up advocating for yourself. And that was a question I wanted to throw out to, to everybody. I, I'll, I'll throw this Catherine's way. Do you remember the first time you had to advocate for yourself? What did that conversation look
7: like? Oh, my goodness. So I, I think I really just identify with what Sophia was saying. I mean, just recently, did I start speaking up for myself? on set, I feel like once I got to a producer level, I was like, okay, if I, if I ask for something, they're probably not going to fire me. So, you know, I can start talking now. But uh, the first time I covered set, um, we, I use a a wheelchair and we were shooting in the woods in New Orleans. And I didn't think ahead about the fact that we were going to be in the woods. And uh, so I show up in my wheelchair and obviously I cannot access the set. And so The crew is so lovely. I had nothing but good experiences on this show, but their solution was to have somebody carry me around set all day. And um, it was absolutely mortifying for me to be carried around. And then for the next six or seven years, every time I saw anybody, they'd bring up, oh, remember that awesome time you got carried around set? Like it was such a great thing. Um, And it took me a long time to say like, well, how would you feel being you know, carried around your place of business, you know, that's, that's not great. So I think from that, from that experience, I really s- thought like, okay, I need to do the work to make it accessible for me if I'm going to be uncomfortable and not ask. Um, and then cut to like five or six years later. And one of the ADs came to me very apologetically asking if they could leave my trailer at, at the stage because they didn't have room for it at base camp. And I said, oh, I can't, get into the trailer like I probably should have told you like six or seven years ago but I can't access it and to my surprise they were like oh wow like let's figure out a way to make this work for you um so I wish I would have started advocating for myself sooner and I think um the more of us that are on set and advocating for ourselves the easier it'll be for the people that are coming up behind us to speak up
3: exactly well I want to I want to ask that question to to Ryan or, or Steve if there's an answer to I know you, you both have been on, on shows where, you know, I know one of the biggest things I always hear about the lack of accessibility and and advocating is expense, you know, that it's too expensive to do that. You know, what is advocating for yourselves been like, especially working on something that is, you know, funded by, you know, in Ryan's case, Netflix, where, you know, money seems to be no object these days.
6: Uh, it's a very interesting question. And I come at it and in, in, in I will, call it a messy middle myself, right? Because I walk with a walker. I have walking privilege and I own that. And I, if needed, can hold somebody's hand or arm and walk up steps. So uh, season one of The Politician was everything I shot was on location. And... Either they had me in like a very accessible, very flat space room to do hair and makeup and to get ready and all that stuff. Um, And then the one time there was a trailer, they literally had this hydraulic lift bring me into a trailer because because that's what they thought needed to happen. And I looked at it and I went, wow, they really went like 100... Percent on accessibility, but I also like laughed because I don't need the hydraulic lift. <laughs> it felt like a lot of effort <laughs> because I could just walk up the steps if somebody's holding my hand, and that costs a lot less than a literal hydraulic lift in a parking lot. Whereas season two, um, we were in New York, and half of what we shot was studio and half was on location, and I had this moment where I looked around the hair and makeup room and saw that there was nobody else there. It was me, the hair person, the makeup artist. And I was like, oh wait, everyone else is somewhere else, aren't they? And that, it didn't even cross my mind until like the second or third episode of the season. At that point I said, you know, I think I would like, if somebody's willing to help me into the hair and makeup trailer, I would like to do my hair and makeup with everybody so that I can experience the camaraderie. I can experience the community that comes from that. And I immediately also said, P.S., the next time you hire a physically disabled person, they're not going to want or need the same things as me. Like I'm talking to you about my specific experience in my body. So it's not a catch-all. And I'm not trying to make it more difficult or muddy for somebody who is in a wheelchair, who can't access stairs. I'm just saying like, I would rather hang out with my friends for an hour than feel like I'm separated from the cast. So it was a learning moment of, I don't have to advocate for everyone all the time. Sometimes I can just advocate for myself. And sometimes for me, Inclusion and being part of the group is more important than 100 access.
7: Ryan, it just makes made me think like, what an easy solution for productions just to ask somebody what their access needs are at the start. Right, because oftentimes they're so much easier to accomplish than what these that what people have in their heads. And other times they might completely miss the mark. And just it, just normalize asking the question of how you can make this experience accessible for your your talent or the people that you work with, um, it's just such an easy thing to do.
5: Yeah, it it really bothers me when networks and studios say they can't accommodate um, disabled performers. If if actors, if actors did not trailers. That are like entire blocks long. If if they just show up two hours after their call time and say we're only doing two tables and I'm done, then there's absolutely no reason why we can't get a ramp or we can't get an extra break in between. They have the money. Money's not the problem. Money is meaningless for these people. But it's just about giving us that extra little bit. And it's so infuriating. But I truly believe that everyone on this call has their own hand. And effectively changing that.
3: there's a lot of discussion nowadays about the the different needs. and And Ryan, you know, touched on on this so eloquently that the the needs of disabled people are so as diverse as we are, right? And there's been this discussion about the needs of physically disabled performers versus neurodivergent and and the ways that Hollywood essentially kind of pits one group against the other because there's this, you know, belief that, more physically disabled performers require more things, right? You know, I want to ask this to Kayla, you know, how do you look at this debate between the different struggles between neurodivergent performers and physically disabled performers? I mean, how, how do you look at that as as an actor in this industry?
8: Uh, to be honest, when it, when it comes to the debates, I try to stay clear of it, of them on social media, the pot can get stirred very quickly from your keyboard. And I just think of it as every human is a person with different abilities, disability, or not having a disability. Everyone has a different ability. I understand for special services, insurance, et cetera, a disability diagnosis is still needed, but personally, Labels lead to continued stereotypes and the cycle is just never ending.
3: Uh, you know, I noticed that there was an article that came out uh, a couple couple days ago about um, not just the need for minority performers and directors and screenwriters, but more minority writers writing about entertainment. Um, and I have no idea if I'm the first uh, Journalist with a disability that's that sat down and talked with you. All I don't presume to be, but for how how important is it not just to have disability in creative spaces, but to have your work and and your careers discussed by disabled writers? Does that factor in? I'll we I'll, I'll throw that open to whoever uh, wants to answer that.
5: Yeah, it's a completely new and higher. Level of empathy and understanding. You know, if we want our stories to be told authentically, then we have to have people who understand what that's like to help us do that. Um, and I don't think it's unfair, like for us to request that. Um, because I think. Like, anything less than that. Having our stories either watered down or just not told truthfully in any way at all uh, is not just unfair to us, but it just keeps perpetuating this terrible cycle that we've seen in the industry for decades.
7: And I think also when you have... um exclusively non-disabled journalists writing about disabled media, you know, they they miss the, the messy middle almost all the time. It's it's often looked at from this inspirational lens. And how great, how great is this like cute little thing that we saw on t- on television or on film, but you missed all of the nuance that was that was in the piece because you were only looking at it as how could this inspire you or make you feel better about your life? because you're not the, you're not the people on screen you know so i think um to steve's point like to if we're going to dig deeper into these things it has to come the, the journalism has to come from disabled people the writing uh, of the scripts the acting we we need to have disabled people involved in all levels and in all positions in media if we're going to be authentically represented
6: i am based in new york and i come from a theater background and I, I, you know, theater has been and will always be my first love. And what I've seen in this regard in terms of the journalism of theater, I'm not even just talking about criticism, but some of that, you know, there are some very nice plays. One of them, Cost of Living by Martina Mayoke won the Pulitzer Prize, like fabulous play. Okay, but there are other plays which don't purport to be about disability at all. And then you're sitting there and suddenly in the middle of Act Two, there's a disabled character and you're going, Oh my God, nobody told me. Oh, and then you watch it and you're like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. Oh, this is terrible. Why did they why are they depicting it like this? Ah, ah, and you're it's horrifying. And then and then that play gets the most glowing of reviews. Not a single person calls out the bullshit of the way that the disabled character is depicted. Um, this happened twice in one calendar year at one of my favorite theaters in New York. And even though it is one of my favorite theaters, I went, who let this happen? Not once, but twice. And the idea that um, something can be so critically lauded, get these most amazing features in the New York Times and all the important papers that tell you what is and isn't important theater to see, and doesn't raise the hand and say, I think that what you did for disabled people here is fucked up. That's really, I struggle with that a lot, especially when it feels, when it, because when it's like about us and the, disabled, the disability is at the center of the story, they are, are careful not to trip on themselves and put their feet in their mouths. But when it feels like we are just an accessory to the narrative and they really do damaging, uh, the, the writers and creators really do damage to uh, disabled characters and narratives. And then it isn't called out. That is where I think I wish there was more uh, disabled journalists in, in media and, and theater criticism because they have the power, to, they notice. They would notice, whereas everyone else, oh, we didn't even really pay attention to that character at all. Wasn't that nice they had a nice song or wasn't that nice that scene made me shed a little tear? Enough, enough. Uh, and I think journalists could and would have the power to call those things out in a way that we as the artists don't, aren't given as much authority. What am I gonna do, post a Facebook status? And what's that going to? How is that going to help? Whereas reading an op-ed in an important journalistic uh, paper or or p- publication online could really change the tide and move the needle.
3: It's it's amazing the power that is so often I think put on us to solve these issues when there's a whole systemic societal element that needs to to be. To be reckoned with, and I think that that perfectly leads into the the other question that I wanted to throw out. You know, now that we are discussing these issues, there is this belief that tends to be well. Now it's about lifting up others. You know that now once a minority person gets into a room or gets a show. Who else are they bringing along, and that that can be tough when you're the only disabled person who's being considered? And you know, the concept is, well, we already got one of you; we don't we don't need more. Um, you know, how are you? How difficult has that been in in your careers to uplift others in your journeys? How do you look at those conversations when it comes to disability specifically? Um, I'll, I'll throw it out to to Steve. It's
5: just such an ignorant mentality to have. Because no one in their right mind would ever say, oh, well, we got one black actor, so we don't need another. You know, we got one actress, good enough, but for some reason, whatever it's about us, and, you know, when it comes to uh, diversity and inclusion and equity we're always left out. We're always the exclusion um you know we're always the exception to the rule and it's it's really uh, getting a little old because I'm trying I'm trying very hard to, You know, further my career, and I am just constantly running into that mentality, and it's never really starting to change. I mean, I don't, I don't think we all would be speaking right now if it wasn't changing. But goddamn, we got a long ways to go.
3: Exactly. Well, Catherine, I wanted to pose that same question to you. I know, you know, you've, you've done producing, you know, how how is that struggle to, to bring others along with you? You know, how do you look at that?
7: Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, to Steve's point, there's been so much progress uh, in other marginalized communities. On, on television and film, you know, I think there there was the, the, the token black actor, right? And and still is, but now with the success of shows like Insecure and Blackish and, and Empire, we're, we're seeing less and less of that, but disabled people are still at the, at the point where we're like, can we just get, can we get one? Like one's a great place to start. And then like, you know, let's talk about more. And I think for me, you know, I'm really focused on, in terms of, of on the writing side, I'm just trying to get in front of showrunners and execs and saying like, hey, we're here, we're working. Ask me any questions you want. Do you have any fears? Let me answer them right now. Let me me just tell you that we can do this and increase the visibility. And part of that for me is is mentorship, especially mentoring um, disabled uh, uh, writers of color because the um, disability narrative is so white right now in media. And also, you know, I think my agent's going to kill me if she ever watches this panel, but anytime I have a staffing meeting or a general, I'm like, oh, do you do you know this person? Do you know this disabled person? I've got seven disabled people over here that would love to talk to you. Um, so I think it's just about really letting people know that we exist because for some reason they can't see us and like, we're right here.
5: What, what Jada said about having just one. This is what bothers me the most about um, th- this year's Oscars. But you know, we got a ramp. We got an ASL interpreter for one segment. And everyone's like, oh my God, this is great. You know, it's progress. Yes. But you're also admitting that for the past 31 years, um, the HFPA has been violating federal law by not having uh, a rant and interpreters. Um, yeah, that was it.
3: <laughs> and we got and the, the Oscars out oh, I'm not over the octopus win. So we how do
5: you lose, I an mean octopus. the octopus
3: was
7: how do you lose <laughs> an octopus?
5: But but that's that's the problem though. Because I was like, hey yeah, we hear you. What we're gonna give you more. But no, they're just are just not gonna get all of it yet.
6: We're,
3: we're uh, not as cute as the octopus.
6: <laughs> Go hold on, Ryan, what were you gonna say? Well, Judy Human from Crip Camp said made Steve's point on Twitter a couple of days after the Oscars about like that means that they've been violating the law for 30 years. And when I tell you I was sitting in my underwear at my eating table, <laughs> I don't want to say dining table because my apartment is this room, um, but like where I eat meals and I'm sitting there and I read that and I, I lost my mind. Like I am sitting, I live in this disabled body. I feel totally empowered. I'm very proud of my identity. I don't shy away from the word disability. I think everything I like, I'm, I love to be disabled, but it like that framing of oh my God, they've been violating the law for 30, 31 years was shocking, which to me isn't because I'm not educated about these issues. It's just that moment of reading that tweet was like, oh, I've become so desensitized to our invisibility in this industry. I've become so like, accepting of not even being allowed to be part of the conversation, that it was a statement of fact and it was a correct fact that didn't ever occur to me because that's just how things are done. And I know we all here are trying to change the way things are done, but I think one of the struggles is when The media is so important in the way that it show, like it shows our narratives, not only to the world at large and to many people who have no disability in their lives, that television and film are the only ways that they experience disabled characters and people, but it also affects the way we see ourselves. And I've wanted to win an Oscar and a Tony and an Emmy since I was five years old and often have sat there going, well, you know, would I have, will I be married by that time? Can my husband walk me up the stairs or would I come in from the wings? Like Ellie Stroker did when she won her, like having to compute in my head, like they would never put a ramp. Of course, (laughs) never. And then to be told like, it's illegal to not put a, and to have that completely like, rip open my heart, really um, prove to me that as proud as I am, as empowered as I am, as seeking of justice as I am, there are still these areas in which I'm like, oh, of course we don't belong. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Uh, and, and to do that work on myself of, no, no, we have to, we're here and we should be here all the time. Not just when we're nominated for best documentary and lose to an octopus. The
3: octopus will never not hurt. Sophia, were you wanted to say
4: something? Just really quick to piggyback off of that. It's like we yes, Ryan, we do belong. We are part of this society. We are part of the world. One in four people have a disability. Like that is a fact. And you know, the fact that Hollywood, you know, TV film theater, you know, is is ignoring that fact. Like we are part of the fabric of society and that's what makes um, it so frustrating that these, these realities that we live in, we have our own internalized ableism that we're grappling with all the time. And something like that can open us up and, and be like, oh my gosh, how could I never have thought that that opportunity could be for me? So I just want to say yes, because we do belong. Like we belong here. We belong in this industry because we are talented. We are trained. We have opportunity. We have experience. Like I, I, I hate that, you know, we hear, oh, there aren't enough experienced actors, you know, or there aren't, there's not enough experience, um, in the disabled community. And, and I, you know, 100% disagree. And the reason why maybe we don't have a full resume, we're not part of unions is because we haven't gotten our wheels in the door. We have not gotten through the door you know? And, and so it's, it's that fight, like for me and the work that I do, I, I didn't say this, but I have dwarfism. I'm of short stature. And a lot of the work that I've been doing now is like real artivism and community organizing and like mentorships, like you were saying, Catherine, to make sure people know that they do belong to this industry. And, and it's, it's a fight long where we're like Steve said, it's just, it's a long haul, but um, but it is, it is so important to, 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 to create that space and to show our identities fully and all the intersectionalities that we live in and the diversity that is disability as well. So, sorry, I got off on it. A...
7: <laughs> oh, no, no, uh, go for it, Catherine. What do you want to add? Um, yeah, I just, I, I loved when Ryan was talking about, you know, when he eventually wins all of those awards, which I know is going to happen. I had the same thought, but for me, like when I, when I win my Emmy, I'm sitting next to Chris Hemsworth, and he carries me up the stairs. Um, so hopefully he's attending. But but when you see that ramp at the Oscars, you don't have to think about those kinds of things. And the ramp says, "Oh, I'm welcome here." Like this, I don't have to worry about that. So even, I mean, well, yes, the octopus was pretty. I wish we would have won, and we could have seen that ramp in action. Just having it. It means so much to to the community to 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 know that you are uh, you're wanted and welcome. It it I think it it was a tiny it was a tiny bit of progress, but I'm gonna celebrate it anyway because it just meant so much to like ease that anxiety of how am I gonna get to the stage when I become a hugely famous successful person.
6: Um, I promise this will take 15 seconds, but I just want to say that. Jim Lebrecht, who is the co-director of Crip Camp, had been saying since summer and fall, if there's an occasion for me to be called to that stage, I better have a way to get there. And it's not going to be from the back. So that was a, that was self-advocacy. You know, yes, there was a set designer and people had to sign off and make that decision, but I don't want to just clap, clap, clap for the Academy because, uh, jim foresaw a possible nomination and and said i am not going to be separate and unequal and that's why we got the stage that we got
3: hey well you wanted to add something i saw you unmute
8: yeah um definitely this whole thing is a process i mean we are getting there slowly but surely like Yes, I am on the autism spectrum, but 99% of my auditions are for neurotypical characters, which is huge. Because, I mean, yeah, there's limited roles for disabled people, but I've always advocated for um, anyone auditioning for any role as well. But yet, yeah, when it comes to award season, everybody in Hollywood knows that if you play a disabled character, without a disability, you're going to win. It's like, it's the Hollywood hat trick. If you play a disabled character, you're going to win an Oscar. You're going to win an Emmy. But when you're the first and you're doing all this award press and you're still not getting acknowledged, it's just like a whole different thing. Like, Like, I just found out I wasn't nominated for the Gracies this year. And a lot of people were actually really shocked by that an award show that's all about women that are making a di- difference in Hollywood, both on screen and off screen, and not even being included in that was just a shock. Because it's even even though it's a lower level award show, it's it's not up to Oscar level. But still, not even being included is just like, when are we gonna get our chance?
5: That that all makes me. Want to be the first disabled actor to win an Oscar for playing a non-disabled person? Wait, wait, I want to. I want to play. I want to play Eddie Redmayne and his biopic and and win the Oscar. But um, all, all this reminds me of, of one of my favorite uh, Malcolm, Malcolm X quotes when he says, you know, "You get stabbed in the back and." If the person pulls the knife out three inches, that's not progress. If he pulls it out six inches or takes the knife all the way out, it's not progress. You can't have true progress until you reveal the wound, And this industry has a lot to make up for.
3: I think that might be the, the best way to go to go out on this amazing panel. I, I do want to throw out you know, one of the, the big solutions, which you can start by following all these amazing people on social media uh, because I think that that's a great way to learn about the issues that are specifically about us. Uh, social media is a great great way to do that but thank you all so much for sitting down and talking to me about this topic and one day i hope we'll be talking about steve and and ryan and katherine and all of you winning oscars for playing uh, in the eddie redmayne biopic and we won't be talking about the messy middle anymore we'll be talking and about this... and kayla and yes and kayla. yeah yes oh you guys are all going to be in it we're, we're gonna have to start brainstorming this right now um uh, but thank you all so
1: so very much Thank you for listening to ATX TV's original series, The TV Campfire.
0: To watch these panels and more, please visit youtube.com/ATXTV.
1: For details on the festival, go to atxfestival.com.
0: And information on our membership program can be found at atxfestival.com/membership.
1: And you can follow us at ATX Festival on social media.
0: As always, please rate and review. We appreciate each and every one of you for listening, and a simple click or a brief comment can help us grow, and other TV lovers like yourself can find us.
1: Feels like enough information, right?
0: Yeah. Till next time, keep watching
6: TV.
1: Bye.